Welcome to Crump Insights, exploring timely life insurance and retirement planning topics for today's forward-thinking financial professionals. In this episode, we'll learn more about split-dollar sales ideas for high-net-worth clients. I'm Brian Bushlack, your host for this series and an active life insurance producer. Joining us, Ryan Mattern, Director, Advanced Sales for Crump Life Insurance Services. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about split dollar. I know many advisors out there and insurance professionals may have heard of this term over the years, but haven't actually placed a case that's a split dollar case. So let's start by educating everyone who's not familiar so they can understand this. What is it? Sure. Thanks, Brian. And uh, yeah, pleasure to be here today. So thought I'd, yeah, just start out with a 30,000 foot view of, of what split dollar is and then kind of pivot over to uh, what we're going to talk about today. So split dollar broken down in its most basic sense is just as it sounds. You're splitting the values of a life insurance policy, cash values, its premiums, its death benefit between two parties, usually where one party has a legitimate life insurance need and the other party has the means to pay for it. So it can come in a corporate context, which is between an individual and their business, be it a key employee or a business owner themselves, uh, depending upon how the business is structured. And that can come in two flavors, endorsement split dollar, which is corporately owned, or loan regime split dollar, which is personally owned. I'm not going to get into the corporate side of things. I want to focus today on more of the private split dollar. And private split dollar is an arrangement between an individual and their trust, or an individual's business and their trust. And that's, again, that's what we're going to focus on today, the private split dollar. And, you know, sometimes it's split dollar in general is avoided by advisors because of its perceived complexity, especially after the final split dollar regs came down in 2003. But split dollar, very much alive. We're running it on a a fairly regular basis, if not a daily basis. Why do we look at private split dollar? You know, it's for those high net worth folks that have amassed a significant amount of wealth. And if life insurance is desired in their overall estate plan, the amount of life insurance that is needed is usually enough that it warrants a significant amount of premium to be paid, i.e. a large gift or, or a series of gifts to an islet, an irrevocable life insurance trust, which is what we use in these cases to, to keep the, the proceeds uh, outside of the reach of, of Uncle Sam. But what if the clients don't have that gifting capacity or they want to preserve it for other uses, give it to their kids, give it to anybody else? What can we do to avoid what would otherwise bring a, a gift tax into play? That's basically the gist of split dollar. But there's two separate arrangements, depending upon which one we go with, is really dependent upon the specific case details. And I'll get into each of those, and if there's any questions, certainly just, just chime in. But loan regime split dollar, I'll go over that first, is a policy is owned by the islet, by the trust, and the donor, again, be it an individual or the business, lends the premium to the trust. And now it must be an arm's length transaction has to be a legitimate arm's length transaction. So the islet or the trust agrees to pay that ongoing loan interest back to the grantor based on the total outstanding loan in a given year. Now, generally, that loan interest is received tax-free because of Revenue Ruling 85-13. And that basically says that you cannot create a taxable transaction with yourself. Now, in our current environment, you know we're using a, a grantor trust, and a grantor trust is basically it's effective for estate tax purposes, meaning it's completely outside of the estate. It's outside the reach of Uncle Sam, but it's defective 
for income tax purposes, meaning the income tax obligation flows back to the grantor. So the grantor and the trust are one and the same for tax purposes. So 85-13 applies. So there's no income tax on the loan interest paid back to the grantor. Now, there are some changes looming regarding the grantor trust rules. The House Ways and Means Committee have proposed a few changes that will change kind of the landscape of the grantor trusts. So if the trust was grandfathered before the date of enactment, 85-13 still does apply. But if the trust is implemented after the date of enactment, there could be some issues there. So for folks that are on the fence about the planning, think about getting those trusts set up now before that date of enactment. So we're trying to create a, a sense of urgency here to get those trusts set up. So it is very timely to get those trusts set up. Okay, so essentially that's out there. It's going to happen. It's not a question of if, but when. So you need to act now, right? Correct. Get those trusts set up, get the things in place now that you need to, certainly before that date of enactment. Can you do us a favor and park on this for a minute, the difference between a non-equity collateral assignment and loan regime? What's the difference between the two and how do you determine which one you'll utilize? Great question. So just went over the loan regime. So now let's pivot to non-equity collateral assignment because it is fairly similar, but there are some differences. So non-equity collateral assignment sounds kind of fancy, but it's basically the same as with the loan regime. The policy is owned by the islet, by the trust, and then the donor lends the premium to the trust. But the measuring element in the non-equity collateral assignment arrangement is what's called the economic benefit, the measuring element that the trust is responsible for. And this becomes the gift, not the total premium. And the reason that the trust can utilize the economic benefit versus paying loan interest is because of the nature of the arrangement itself. The payback to the donor is deemed to be the greater of the greater of the premiums paid or the cash value. So the equity stays on the side of the donor. Now, the economic benefit is basically a, a term charge, and it's a cost per thousand relative to the amount of net death benefit. And it used to be measured using the, the old PS58 rates. Those have been replaced by the, the newer Table 2001 rates, and some carriers have their own published alternative term rates. So if these carriers have a one-year term product that they regularly market and sell, you can utilize those alternative term rates, and they're even lower than the Table 2001. Now, the economic benefit, that rate does go up each year as you get older, and it tends to increase almost exponentially at the uh, significantly older ages. So you also have joint economic benefit rates if you're looking at a survivorship policy, and those are they're ridiculously low. So especially at the younger ages, the actuarial value of the death benefit is based on joint lives. You know, the probability of both insureds will pass in a given year. So obviously that's very low. And just to give a quick example, I worked at Crump for, for five years or so before joining the advanced sales team. And uh, I can remember the first private split dollar case that I, I worked on. And that happened to be a, a non-equity collateral assignment arrangement. And uh, we had a husband and wife in, in their 50s in California. And there was, uh, there was a $20 million death benefit need. And the premium, it was in excess of $200,000. So that, that would have been the gift to the trust if we didn't implement this, this non-equity collateral assignment arrangement. And the clients had a very, very limited gift in capacity. So by implementing this split dollar arrangement, the economic benefit, that gift in year one, was just $17. Now, most of us have that in our, our wallets. <laughs> Some people may even have $200,000 in our wallet. Who knows? But, uh, but $17, that was deemed to be the gift in year one, not the premium of $200,000. So you can see the tremendous amount of gift tax mitigation 
that can be achieved. And that's really the crux of the whole arrangement here with private split dollar. You talked about non-equity collateral assignment. Maybe take a deeper dive now into loan regime and how that's different. So loan regime, if you're making loans to the trust, the grants or the individual or the business is making a series of loans to the trust. The trust pays that loan interest back to the grantor each year. Now, the measuring element in a loan regime split dollar is not the, the economic benefit that I just went over. It's deemed to be what's called the ethical federal rates, the AFRs. So those are published on a monthly basis, and those are attractive because of the historic lows that we're, we're currently seeing. They're really low in the current environment. So yep. the feds know that they're not going to, you're not going to charge yourself a market rate of interest. It's going to be some below market loan. But again, it must be an arm's length transaction or there will be some, some penalties. But just to give some context of those historic low numbers, the short-term AFR, which is any loan that matures between zero to three years, is 0.18%, pretty, pretty low. Midterm AFR is any loan that matures between three to nine years, and that's currently at 0.91%. And then you have the long-term AFR, that is uh, any loan that matures over nine years, and that's at 1.74%. So just to give a quick example, if we have a loan regime split dollar arrangement and we have a $100,000 premium in year one, that would otherwise be the gift if we did not implement any type of split dollar arrangement. But if we implement a loan regime arrangement, that loan interest in year one, we're going to just assume that we're utilizing the long-term AFR of 1.74%. That loan interest in year one is just $1,740. So we produce the gift essentially from the $100,000 premium down to just the loan interest of $1,740. Now you could accumulate or accrue the loan interest. We prefer that the trust does pay the, uh, the ongoing loan interest each year. Now, the trust may already have sufficient liquidity. If it does, then it just pays the loan interest. If not, that's where the small gift uh, would be required. Now, the loan must be paid back at, at some point, either by death or, or other assets, and that payback does come back into the estate and is subject to, to estate tax, but it's not totally lost. It's the 60% that, that still remains after estate taxes is still passed on to the beneficiaries. Now, if, if the payback is a concern and, and the estate inclusion is a concern, Clients could always make a bequest to a charity if they're so inclined. So that might be one option if the uh, if the payback for that note is a concern coming back into the estate. Now, the only thing constant is change. And that's a cliche because it's true, right? So uh, mm-hmm. the next question is, can you flip back and forth? Do clients have the ability to switch from you know non-equity collateral assignment to loan regime once the plan is in place and vice versa, can they go back and forth? I guess I'm going to step back and kind of think of which one do we use from the onset. So let's think about it. If you have older clients, we might want to look to a loan regime split dollar because the loan interest is likely going to be lower than what the otherwise that economic benefit would be. Remember I said the, the economic benefit increases with age. So if you have older clients, that economic benefit tends to be more prohibitive. So we tend to look at at a loan regime arrangement in that case. If you have a single insured, and as opposed to a survivorship case, might want to look to a a loan regime arrangement because the loan interest is likely going to be lower than those single life economic benefit rates. Maybe not at the, the significantly younger ages, but it does creep up as you get older. If you have a survivorship case, as I mentioned, those joint life economic benefit rates are so low that we want to look at maybe a non equity collateral assignment split dollar because those those economic benefit rates are going to be lower than what the loan interest would otherwise be. So what can we do? Now we can go from a non-equity collateral assignment to a loan regime, but not vice versa. So 
if we start off with a non-equity collateral assignment split dollar, we can do what's called a switch dollar. And when that happens, there's going to be a triggering event. So whether it could be whenever one of the insureds dies and we go from a joint economic benefit rate to a single life economic benefit rate, and that goes through the roof. We could also change it whenever the clients, even a survivorship case, when the clients get too old and those economic benefit rates do start to get prohibitive, we can switch over to a loan regime at that point. Or if the policy gets into a gain position, remember I said that the payback to the grantor is the greater of the premiums paid or the cash value. So if there's too much cash in the policy, if there's too much gain, the payback is going to be very significant. So the net death benefit is going to be reduced. So what do we do there? In, in any of those triggering events, we go from a non-equity collateral assignment split power to a loan regime. So what we're essentially doing is paying off the existing arrangement with a note. And then going forward, we're servicing that note using the loan interest the AFR is going forward. Now, any future contributions, any further loans into the trust will now be subject to this new loan regime split dollar arrangement. Well, there you go. That's key to this is the flexibility that you have, which many other scenarios you don't, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of flexibility, let's focus on the loan regime arrangement for a second. So high net worth individuals that have accumulated a vast amount of wealth tend to like a great deal of control over their assets. I think that's a a fair statement. Yes. So without implementing a plan like split dollar, the irrevocable gift is just that. It's irrevocable. You know, you've given up the rights to that asset, be it cash, be it, you know, whatever it might be. Loan regime split dollar gives you access to that asset because of the nature of the arrangement itself. The outstanding loan that the trust owes back to the grantor is a lien against the trust. It gives the client a mode of reclamation to what would have otherwise been an irrevocable gift. So if there's ever a financial emergency, if there's a note inside the trust for for a million bucks, there's a financial emergency, the grantors, the clients can call up the trustee, Mr. and Mrs. Trustee, we have a financial emergency. We want you to cut us a check for $100,000, which is fine because it's a repayment of a portion of that note. So if that happens, it can come from the cash value of the life insurance. It can come from trust assets, whatever it might be. So if it does come from the policy, if the policy itself is affected, then maybe we can instruct the trustee to take a reduced paid up policy. So if it's in danger of lapsing early or anything like that, maybe we take a reduction in death benefit to keep the duration of the policy to where it was before. So it gives a great deal of estate planning flexibility, gives clients access to that cash that they otherwise would have irrevocably gifted away. It's that ability to maintain control, which is so important, right? I mean, you, you know, the, the thought of quote unquote giving up an asset uh, for most high net worth people, I mean, you bring that up and uh, you're not going very far with that, right? I mean, so you have to figure out a way around that. And this certainly seems like, yeah. you know, a solution. And one of the other tools we use is private third party premium financing. Talk about the differences in going that route versus split dollar. We talk about third party premium financing on a fairly regular basis. And kind of similar to loan regime, but with third-party premium financing, it's just that. We're going to a third party to secure a lending. So the third party lends the premium to the trust in in most cases, and then the trust has paid that ongoing loan interest back to the third-party lender. And at some point, that loan is going to be extinguished, either by the the cash value of the policy, uh, some other rollout, some liquidity event down the road. Now, there are certainly risks involved with third-party premium financing, 
So I would say that a majority of the cases that we discuss that start as third-party premium financing, we pivot over to private split dollar for a number of reasons. With private split dollar, there's no fear of a third party calling the loan at any point. There's no fear of, you know, interest rate fluctuation. The private split dollar does to an extent because the AFRs do change, but on a very minimal basis from month to month, as opposed to a third party lender changing the rates after the term of the loan is up. No collateral issues. You don't have to collateralize against yourself. Payback of the loan stays within the family. There's no leakage to a third party. So we always say that if premium financing, third-party premium financing is such a great deal for these lenders, wouldn't it make sense that it's a great deal for the, the grantors themselves? So why not become the lender, become the bank, and lend them the trust money from yourself to implement this private split dollar? Again, there's no leakage to a third party. Everything stays within the family. We remove all of the risk that is usually associated with, with third-party premium financing cases. Yeah, I agree. You know, most people in that scenario either have the cash somewhere or access to their private bank. So, you know, you when you go outside of that, that collateral requirement is usually the biggest obstacle. They don't want to move assets, money, or assign any collateral, you know, real property or otherwise over to, you know, an outside entity a bank they're not familiar with, private lender, whoever it may be. And that's where a lot of those deals get killed. Yep. We go back to the control issue. Absolutely. Understandably, the clients like to have a great deal of control over their assets. So with third-party financing, any anything that you're posting as collateral is tied up. So that, that's a way to get out from underneath that concern as well, certainly. Well, it sounds like more advisors, attorneys certainly on the estate planning world, are looking at split dollar. I know this was a very popular strategy going back 20 plus years due to some changes in regs. It went away, but it's back now. And with rates as low as they are, this is an incredible planning tool, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I mentioned before, those AFRs that we're currently seeing are, are so, I mean, 0.18% on a loan between zero to three years. I mean, that's ridiculous <laughs> almost, but absolutely. It's like while the iron's hot, we have these low historic AFRs. It's just a great time to, to implement these types of plans. And again, with the changes, potential changes looming, now's a great time to get those trusts set up, get them in place for future planning. Well, Ryan, great insight. We appreciate you joining us. It's a pleasure to be here and certainly appreciate the time. Crump Life Insurance Services, a leading third-party distributor and service provider of insurance and retirement products, is part of Truist Insurance Holdings Incorporated the seventh largest insurance broker in the world. Crump supports the distribution of life insurance, annuities, long-term care, linked benefits, disability, and health products with the industry's premier sales and back office support and technology services. Marketing under the following brands. Crump, Truist Life Insurance Services, Risk Rider, TELUS, and TIME. Source, Business Insurance Magazine, using 2019 brokerage revenue generated, 2020 issue. For financial professional use only, not intended for use in solicitation of sales to the public. Not intended to recommend the use of any product or strategy for any particular client or class of clients. For use with non-registered products only, Crump operates under the license of Crump Life Insurance Services Incorporated. Arkansas license number 1001034477
Products and programs offered through Crump are not approved for use in all states. Copyright 2021, Crump Life Insurance Services, Incorporated.